This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. everybody to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 174 and this week I am pleased to be joined by a returning guest. Hello Jojo. Hello John. How are you? Uh, Pretty good. Kind of tired honestly but uh, you know what are you going to do? We'll power through it. Didn't sleep well last night. I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) There's uh, too much wrestling going on right now to sleep anyway so we'll get through it. Uh, How have you been doing? I know it's very early over there in Japan. Yeah, it is uh, very early for for most people, but as you know, I wake up earlier than than most. So I've already you know been running. I've already watched the G One show from last night, uh, and it's seven forty five a.m. in the morning here. So um, yeah, what time do you get up? Like four? You, yeah, usually four, and that's mostly driven by the fact that uh, I wait. I usually around this time of year wake up early to watch the Miami Marlins, uh-huh. um, who just got eliminated from the playoffs. But that has completely altered my sleep patterns. Uh, so I'm still in a hangover from that, basically. Now, I was seriously talking about, like, once things reopen even more, maybe in 2022, um, and assuming my job is still remote, which it sounds like it will be for a while going forward. We just moved to, like, a way smaller office for the next three years. I was thinking of, like, trying to go to Japan for, like, the maximum three months and just working, like, literally in the middle of the night, which I imagine will get, like, really annoying, but I think I would be willing to put up with it for to go to all these shows for three months yeah i feel like for three months you could kind of power through and just be a zombie basically during (laughs) during the day but you could totally do it yeah because like i'd I'd probably take like two weeks off while i was there maybe i i haven't actually decided the more i think about this i'm like what i want to take two consecutive weeks off or what i want to do like a week here and a week there while i'm there or you know, I don't know. I would have to think about that. But yeah, I just uh, I brought up the idea to my bosses during our my like evaluation. They didn't. They they were not as negative on it as I thought they would be. So, you know, 
Especially That's a one, good thing. Yeah, one of them was like, oh, my son's thinking of doing the same thing from Italy, but he has to get a job first. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that that, that kind of is an important part of the equation. Yeah, you've got a head start on that guy for, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but anyway, so, of course, uh, I, I, the one thing I've been, I've been watching a lot of like, uh, like these like virtual walking videos of Japan because I, I just got this new 4K TV. That's awesome. And, you know, I, I cannot believe how normal everything looks there. It's actually like, I, I don't really understand how the, the case numbers are as low as they are when like this guy at one point he walks through and an izakaya, you know, which for people don't know, that's like a Japanese pub. And it's just full of people. Like it looks like there's no capacity restriction at all. Like it's just packed with people laughing and enjoying themselves, having a good time. Uh, you know, almost nobody wearing masks except for like if they're getting up to leave their tables. I'm just like, how the hell did Japan pull this off? I really don't understand it. But yeah, there's currently no capacity restrictions. There was like a, a time restriction, but that recently got pulled. Um, yeah, I think you know part of it is just that there's so many people compared to basically anywhere in the U.S. other than New York, like yeah. in terms of density. Or obviously it's higher than New York, but just like in terms of magnitude, it's so much higher that. Uh, like even if a bunch of people are still quarantining, there's still enough people for their everywhere to be packed. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's just it is really crazy. But uh, I know you haven't been going out a lot, right? Have you have you ventured out to eat at all yet or no? Not restaurant wise. I've just been like doing takeout. You know, I go out every day to go running or to do takeout. Uh, we're we're planned a trip to go to Nico, which is like. Uh, couple hours to the north of tokyo it's uh known for its fall colors so that will be when i when i take the train from tokyo to nico that'll be the first train i've been on i think since february oh wow um yeah and we'll obviously go to restaurants there so um but yeah in general i've still been very cautious i haven't i haven't done indoor restaurant yet i have done a train here because i go I, i started going back to see my dad every month in new jersey in since i think like june or july no i think july it was like some month where the first time that i saw like it it was down to like between one and three percent in new york and new jersey for you know or one three percent positive for like months at that point i figured it was okay but yeah i mean new york has been okay new jersey had a little spike this past week that made me a little scared for you know my dad still lives there but uh you know it hasn't really there there hasn't really been anything out of control here but like the, the rest of the country I mean, they're in the middle of another fucking spike, it seems like. So, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, last time we talked, you know, my family's obviously all in, in Miami. Um, and I think last time we talked, Miami was seeing, like, the worst of it basically in the world. But I think things have started to, you know, calm down a little bit there. Yeah, it seems um, like it's but... the upper the upper Midwest, I think, is what I saw. Like, that's, that's the current really bad hotspot now. So, yeah, I don't know. But good news is that you will at least be allowed into the country next year that's if you'd true. like to come that's true because they're saying april right yeah basically they've decided that in april to prepare for the inevitable you know influx of tourism during the olympics they're just going to start letting people in yeah i mean my plan was always to go in december 2021 like even before all this happened that's when a bunch of my friends were planning to go and we're still going to try to plan it apparently so you know hopefully by then I don't know if we'll, I don't I doubt the world will be back to like normal normal but maybe closer to normal than now. So, you know. Yeah, maybe we can meet up and 
socially distant uh, hangout. <laughs> I hope there's vaccines by then. We'll see. Maybe maybe we'll be. Well, I don't know. Hopefully, it'll be a little better by then. But uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not too worried about getting in the country, especially after I saw that about April. But I even even before I saw the announcement about April, I always kind of assumed it's like, what the fuck is the point of hosting the Olympics if you can't let anybody in? So I kind yeah. of figured, like, unless the unless it's still so bad that the Olympics get canceled, I figured by December I should be okay because I figured they will have to open for the Olympics. So, but you know, yep. Uh, I guess we'll see what happens there. But yeah, twenty. Hopefully, I'm going to come in in December and then maybe do my do like a three month stay in 2022 or something. It would be fun. Exciting. Yeah. But in the meantime, uh, the thing I need to do before we get into today's shows is plug the Omakase Patreon. Uh, we've had a lot of shows this past week, really four straight days of shows. Uh, so this past Monday, we did the New Japan G1 show from that day, plus the All Japan Champion Carnival Finals with uh, Paul from the uh, from Voice of Wrestling. You met Paul, right? I think I think we met you. When, we met up with you when we were in Japan, right? I oh, don't maybe. think I've oh, ever maybe. met Paul in person. Maybe um, you're right. Maybe we didn't. If I did, I'm sorry, Paul. But I, don't think <laughs> I, have. I thought we saw you for like two seconds outside Cork well, and... If, if that's the case, then then I don't apologize because two seconds is not enough time. <laughs> yeah, I, do, I don't know because I've been on three trips now, so I could be confusing it with another trip. But I could have sworn we met up with you for like two seconds outside Cork and uh, in the Paul. I want to meet you for more than two seconds. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so Paul and I uh, did that uh, did that show on Monday, and then I did three straight shows by myself uh, Tuesday through Thursday on the G one shows from those days. So obviously you got you got a lot of content just from this past week, uh, a lot of content on there. If you want to catch up with all the G one shows, all the Champion Carnival, all the Noah N one, uh, they're all on there for you to listen to. Plus all of our other audio content uh, is on there. This coming week we're gonna have shows uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. I'll be by myself covering G one's night fifteen and sixteen. Friday I'll be covering the A block finals on the Patreon. That'll be only on the Patreon. I will have a guest for that, uh, Andrew. The infamous Puffin Brain Andrew making his Omakase debut. People will know him if they uh, either go to the Omakase, or not the Omakase, the Voice of Wrestling Discord, uh, where he had a run in with the law there, let's just say. But the Voice of Wrestling Discord or the Super JCast Discord. So he's also another, uh, another guy based in Japan. So there'll be two straight guests based in Japan. But yeah, so he'll be on Friday with me on the Patreon to do the A Block Finals. And then, yeah, so that'll be the last of the G1 uh, Patreon exclusive audio. Uh, and then next week on, obviously, we'll do the B Block Final and the overall finals here on the free feed. But if you want to hear all of our G1 coverage, all the stuff coming up this week, all the stuff from this past week, uh, it's only $5 per month. So I think it's a great deal. Uh, you get all of our audio, 5 bucks, patreon.com slash wrestlingomikase. Uh, definitely can't go wrong there. And we got plenty more stuff coming up. We're going to be doing, uh, you know, we did three tournaments to all simultaneously here. Uh, we'll be doing it again next month because uh, the DO from DDT is running at the same time as the uh, World Tag League and Best of Super Junior from New Japan. So, you know, we'll do them all. Why not? The World Tag League might be a little tough, but, you know, at least it's not going to be as long as previous years. So... But there is be... a lot of wrestling coming up, so yes, get ready. Exactly. But yeah, there you go, folks. Patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. Okay, so the first show we're here to cover is the G1 Climax Night 13 
from the Ideon Arena Osaka uh, on Saturday, October 10th. Uh, this was this was like your first like full G1 show in a while, right? Yeah, I had like dropped out after the first couple shows just because I know how this can wear on my, my patience. So I took a break for a few shows, but this was definitely the right show to jump back in on. Yeah, this was a really good show. I mean, I feel like there's a certain type of person that uh probably should have followed your lead and, and like dropped off because like every year like people get so grumpy uh like around the middle of the g1 and i'm just like you know you don't have to watch this like you could just start yeah. you could just skip some shows or matches you don't like people act like i don't know like for me i guess i could literally say it is my job because I, I have this podcast i have the patreon i'm covering it all uh, but it's not anybody else's job. Like you could just, you know, unless you also are a, a podcaster, uh, you could just stop watching. I mean, just I don't know. So like some people on the when I see them on the like the Discord and stuff, I just want to be like, if you hate the B block so much, you could just skip those shows. Like I don't, I don't really get it. But you know. yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> a product of there being such high availability of everything now. You have to pick and choose. You can't watch everything um, because, like, you're watching all this stuff right now. Are you also watching everything on Wrestle Universe? No. Like, out. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you just you can't watch everything. Right. So and my my burnout, you know, paranoia was mostly driven by going to shows in person. I think one G1, there were six Tokyo shows, three uh, Sumo Hall and three Cork when I went to all three and like that just broke my wrestling brain still so i have to be careful about how how much i commit to to just watching everything yeah i mean you gotta you have to pick and choose to a degree everybody has to do that i mean like you know the after the champion carnival i was like well i've had my football japan for a while don't think i'm gonna watch the real world tag league this year yeah but, i might uh... pull the plug on my all japan sub after the carnival <laughs> It was. I mean, look. I'm glad that they they had an, an outstanding final. You have to say that. Yeah, but for sure, for the sure. rest of that tournament fucking sucked. I mean, yeah. it it's fucking like, sucked. You don't need like from the, from their perspective, like they didn't need to show everything live. You know, I don't know like what the. I I know the norm for like you know 2020 is you show the whole show front to you know beginning to end, but there must be some like middle ground where they could. I don't know. Maybe make the full shows available, but also have like a t quote unquote TV version where like only the really good matches are full, but they clip everything else, um, just for people to to not have to sit through all of them. I mean, it is one of those things where it's like you know, back in the day when we all when we always had clip stuff, everybody would complain about all the clip stuff, but it's like maybe they were just kind of saving us from ourselves, you know? But... For sure. <laughs> I, I mean, there's definitely there has to be an element to that, right? Because even the best wrestlers in the world, after you watch all their hot show matches, it wears on you. So I don't know. I don't think anybody really w- w- is wants to hear me advocate for clipping stuff, but uh, <laughs> here, here we are. It'd be nice to have the option, I guess. I mean, like there was um, like Wrestle One. I remember had that YouTube show where they clipped everything like into really yeah. short chunks, and it, and I always watched that every month, even when I wasn't like didn't have the time to watch all of the Wrestle 1 shows that made tape and that like let me keep keep up with Wrestle 1 even when I like you know didn't have the time to watch their shows so I mean I definitely think there is a value to that even if uh you know like at least give people the option you know 
I do think that sure. that would be a that would be helpful. More promotion should do it. But anyway, so this G one show it opened up with Yuya Uemura defeating Yota Suji in nine oh three with a double underhook suplex. Um, so you obviously you haven't been watching. This was my favorite Young Lion opener in a while. I was getting you know people on the Patreon who have been listening to me over the last few shows will be able to tell you that I was getting pretty sick of these Young Lion openers. Like you know they were kind of all starting to blend together and not in a good way. But, you know, this one, it just, like, Uemura targeting Suji's arm was, like, you know, just it put a different spin on this match or on these Young Lion matches than we've seen in a while. And there was some really impressive stuff with Suji, like, you know, deadlifting Uemura out of the out of the key lock. Uh, he just seemed extra aggressive throughout the match. And Uemura just, like, really, you know, tar- like, honed in on that arm and, uh, you know, got the key lock back on. And ended up being a really great setup for him finally hitting the double arm, belly to belly. Um, but yeah, I went three and a half. I really like this. So definitely, yeah, so, I think one of my favorite young line matches of the tournament, probably. So I'm gonna I'm gonna one up you on this one. I actually went four stars on this match. Wow. And trying to think just off the top of my head, I think this is my favorite young lion match since Finley and Jay White were young lions. Wow. Um, you definitely won. I up think. Me. Yeah. So. <laughs> And, like, we were talking, you and I were talking, I don't know, a couple of months ago, you know, on one of the the pre-G1 tours, uh, you know, and my point was basically, like, you can't give us just all multi-man matches on these Corquin shows. It's nice to have, uh, it's nice to have a singles match, and this was kind of what I was advocating for, but now that we're getting all singles matches, like you said, it definitely starts to blend together but this match definitely stands stands out in you know relative to all the young line matches in, in in several years to me and uh to me it stands out relative to the way that most of the g1 matches are worked as well you know it was it was very short and sweet and focused and intense and you know this the way that they're positioning uh tsuji and uemura is, is super interesting to me so like Uemura has obviously this amateur wrestling background that he's starting to to leverage more, where as Tsuji does not come from a wrestling background, he comes from a football background, and he has been saying repeatedly that it's his dream in wrestling for the short term to do an excursion in Mexico because he wants to learn like Mexican-style submissions. So they played off of that dynamic quite a bit as well, um, and that carried on to the, the next night's match with with Gabe as well. But yeah, I loved this match. And this was, if I had to just look at my ratings uh, for these several shows, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. This is definitely one of the eight or so best matches we saw on any of these shows to me. Wow. Uh, match number two was Jeff Cobb defeating Tomohiro Ishii in 1457 with the tour of the islands uh, that one made Cobb three and four and dropped Ishii down to three and four. Um, this was awesome. I mean, this was like, uh, they, they had, even last year when Cobb, you know, I think was pretty inarguably worse than he was, than he's been so far this year. Um, you know, even last year when Cobb, I didn't like his G1 run that much at all. Uh, this match was really great. So I wasn't really surprised that this match was awesome. Uh, you know, when he's having a much better G1, you know, overall. But yeah, I mean, it was exactly what you would expect, probably. You know, really hard-hitting. Um, there's a great spot where, like, Cobb, hit like this sequence of elbows in a row and like went to do this big 
fucking Roman Reigns style, like, lock and load taunt on the last one. And Ishii just, like, smashes him right in his damn face with his own elbow to counter. I was like, that was such an awesome spot. Um, mm. And he, like, screamed at him like a fucking dinosaur before he did it. <laughs> yeah, he was like, he's like, you're not doing this, this fucking Roman Reigns taunt on me, buddy. Um, but, yeah, there was, like, a, you know, there's, like, a big suplex trading sequence and... You know, both yeah. guys just stumbled around like they're drunk by the end, and then Cobb like explodes forward with his ridiculous headbutt. Just a great end to a great sequence. Um, but yeah, then then like you know, Ishii countered the, you know, like the, the, the kind, Cobb's normal setup for the tour of the islands is kind of goofy, right? Like he it's just kind of like I hold my arms out waiting for you to run into them, and Ishii counters it with this like hard lariat right to the face. It was great. It's like you're, I'm not just gonna run into your arms, buddy. Uh, you know, Cobb, though, no-sells it, hits his own lariat and a standing moonsault, uh, tries for the Tour of the Islands again. Ishii, though, falls out of his arms this time and hits Enzigiri. And, you know, I would have thought that was, like, the beginning of the end, but they, they went quite a bit longer after that, that those two tour teases. And, like, it's not a complaint because the match rolled, but I was just a little surprised. Uh, and then Cobb ends up winning with a totally different Tour of the Islands setup where, like, he power bombs Ishii and just pulls him up by his arms like, from the same position, you know, Kota Ibushi hits the Kamigoe and, like, deadlifts him straight into, from a seated position into the move. Uh, just a great payoff from all those earlier counters and an awesome ending to an awesome match. Uh, four and a quarter here. Cobb's best match of the G1 and one of Ishii's best two. So, awesome start to the show. F- pretty much 15 minutes of, uh, you know, nonstop action. Or awesome start to the G1 matches, I guess you would say. Yeah, I mean, so after those, fir- I also went four and a quarter on this match. After the first two matches, I thought we were in store for an all-timer in yeah. terms of a show. Um, things that stood out to me about this match were basically two things. The way that Cobb just ragdolled Ishii the whole time with all these throws, just throwing him around the ring like crazy. Not really many people do that with Ishii, although he is not that big of a guy. Um, so I think that really stood out, and the crowd really reacted to it, like gasping. I love that, like, now a gasp that, like, gets <laughs> the fans to break the protocol is, like, it weighs into my, like, evaluation of these matches. Yeah, but, that's the yeah. new... I, I talk about that a lot in the show. That's, like, the new monster heat, basically. Yeah, Because you, sure. you saw it, like, in All Japan and Noah, too, uh, in the Champion Carnival and the M1 Finals, too. And it's, like... I, I, have, I have noticed, and Mike Spears, uh, the Open the Voice host, he, he's mentioned this, too. Like... The outs, the fans outside of Tokyo seem way more willing to break the protocol than the fans inside of Tokyo in general. Makes sense, and yeah, it, it makes, makes it's because like Tokyo was the, the hardest hit area. So yeah, yeah, I mean that that, that makes total sense because like there's some of these places they're going to where like you know COVID's barely impacted them at all, like as far as like how many people have actually had it in that area. So for sure, I mean this was in Osaka, so they yeah they have, they have had... that's right yeah, but in general for sure. Um, and then real quick, other flip side of this match, the thing that, that stood out to me, which is really not, not unusual at all for, for Ishii, is just like his tenacity and his aggression was uh, really got the crowd, I think, ready for the show and, and stood out to me as a highlight for sure. Uh, match number three, Jay White defeats Yujiro Takahashi in 340 with the Blade Runner. Uh, Jay goes to 5-2 and two and Yujiro goes to 0-7. Oh so this was obviously way more story than match. Now, did you what whatever you thought of this is going to depend on if you enjoyed the story or not i enjoyed it i thought they did the they've done this story before right they've done the the bullet club leader wants the other bullet club guy to lay down for him they've done that before i thought this was the best they ever executed that story 
Like, I thought this was way better than whenever, like, AJ, uh, or I think even Devin, too, like, told, you know, another Bullet Club member to lay down for them. Uh, you know, Jay comes out there in this casual wear instead of his normal wrestling gear. And, the, you know, you, you speak way more Japanese than I do. The Japanese announcers are definitely pointing that out, right? I'm pretty sure I heard that. Like, just being For like, sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were... They were, I mean, at first I think they thought maybe he just had like sweatpants on, but then they really keyed in on his sneakers and they're like, oh shit, he doesn't have his boots on. Yeah. Uh, so that, yeah, that was, that was cool. And, you know, they, all three guys do the two sweet to start. Uh, Jalen, like he starts leading everybody in his own little clap, which I thought was funny because he's been, he's been mocking people for the, these claps and how they can't, you know, yell anything all throughout the tour. Uh, but yeah, this was like a new level of that. And then he tells Yujiro to go ahead and lay down for him. He's like, Domo. And he's like, please go ahead. Uh, Jay, then Jay like makes a complete joke out of him and keeps stopping at one to like tease the ref, which I thought was really funny. It's like, Yujiro probably just wants you to, you know, get it over with here, buddy, if he ever was going to like, like you could read it, you could read it into this one or two ways. You could say maybe Yujiro was never going to do it. Maybe because Jay seems to think, you know, it was like Yujiro had a conspiracy with evil. But you could also just say, like, maybe this fucking guy was actually trying to grit his teeth and do it, and you made such a joke out of it that he just couldn't do it, you know? So I liked how there was, like, there was, like, an ambiguity there. Um, But, yeah, when Jay finally does go go to do the pin for real, Yujiro kicks out at two. Jay, like, asks him, are you joking? Yujiro says, yeah, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, But you can see the look on his face, like, he does not want to get banned here. (laughs) He does not want to do this. Uh, So I thought Yujiro's acting here was, like, Really good, you know, for a guy that, like, uh, people normally don't think very highly of. I mean, he, I thought he did a great job, like, you know, like, showing on his face that he was conflicted, you know, and, and, like, didn't know what to do here. And, you know, if you watch, if you watch his promos leading up to this match, I mean, he would talk, like, about how, you know, he's proud of his performances, even though he's winless. Like, you know, he has everything to be, be ashamed of going out there. And it just, it makes sense for his character that he just, you know, he didn't want to get pinned here, you know, uh, or he didn't want to, like, just give up or, uh, you know, let Jay pin him. Uh, but yeah, so Jay covers him again. Yujiro kicks out too again. Uh, Yujiro keeps trying to roll him up while Jay's distracted, asking Gato what he's doing. And then, you know, you can tell the crowd is getting really into it. Um, you know, Yujiro, like, lariats the hell out of him. When Jay shoves him and then gives him this great Olympic slam for a two count. Uh, and then he, like, low blows Jay after almost setting him in the ref and tries to get the pin off that with a two count. Like, the crowd, I think, was, like, just really getting into, like, Yujiro trying to, you know, pull off this amazing upset. Uh, but, yeah, so Yujiro gives him the Miami shine. Uh, that gets another close two count. And he goes for pimp juice. But Gato starts getting in the ring. And that gives Jay the chance to get his own low blow. And then give him the Blade Runner. And that's all she wrote. Uh, it's tough to rate this one because, like I said, it's more story than match. I really enjoyed it for what it was, though, uh, and I just decided to give it like a nice little three and a quarter because I had a good time with it. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this too. I didn't rate it just because I didn't feel like rating it, but um, <laughs> you know, I think even without uh, having kind of kept up with the storylines, I think these guys did an awesome job of getting me back into, you know, the context of this match. Um, I think everything you said about Yujiro is definitely the case. I think he performed really well. I think, you know, one thing that New Japan does in general really well is, you know, making sure that even the guys who are technically heels still have, like, this human element to their characters, right? So that they can, 
in the G1 they when they inevitably have somebody that they need to have be, be portrayed as more of a heel than the other guy um that's there right so they I think this was done really well like you said um and you know honestly matches like this break things up um do I really care if Yujiro's going to have a good match no I think this was the exact spot that you want him in um, yeah, and I, know, yeah, I, and, I, and I know you haven't watched him, but he's actually been way better than I would have expected. Like, I I don't have my average my averages open, but I think he's like averaging like a three and a quarter or something, which is you know I would have expected much lower for him. Honestly, I mean, he's been good. Um, yeah, that's cool. The afterwards, though, Jay like grabs a chair, actually going to hit Yudra with it. Uh, you know, Gato tries to stop him, tells him to calm down, and Jay's like going crazy. You know, asking him if he had anything to do with it. And he really kept that up in the backstage promo, too. So, uh, clearly something is up here at Bullet Club again. And, you know, Jay and Evil have been, like, taking shots at each other uh, on these two different... And the way it's done this year, you know, with the the two blocks not interacting at all, it really made it, like, the perfect year to do this storyline. Because, like, Jay and Evil are basically taking shots again from, uh, you know, shots at each other from, like, you know... Uh, across the ocean basically it's like you know these two blogs don't interact at all and they're both you know it's like they're just like having this weird uh like half negotiation half uh low-key feud like you know without directly interacting with each other so it it really worked out the way they did it this year uh it's smart too they're gonna have a lot more of these interactions cross block interactions i'm sure on the final show so it, it just adds another layer to this this tour for sure uh, match number four, Will Ospreay defeats Taichi in 1626 with the Stormbreaker. Ospreay goes to five and two. Taichi goes to three and four. Um, so I don't, this match was good. I mean, there was stuff here, there's stuff here that really annoyed me. And just the very idea of people having the take that like, oh, look how Ospreay carried Taichi to a great match when Taichi's been awesome in this entire G1 uh, just annoys me. But, like, I, I didn't even think this was one of Taichi's better matches. Like, it was good. But, you know, it was, like, th- this match was, like, Will, like, doing about 500 flips. I mean, this was maybe his most flippy match of the entire tournament. And it really makes this take that, like, Will Ospreay is working this radically different style as a heavyweight look even stupider. Because, like, you know, here he is, like, bouncing around like he's, you know, 2004 Jack Evans on speed. And I'm supposed to, like, you know, say he's doing a different... St- I, I just don't see what, what, what he's doing differently, honestly. Um, you know, there was, like, a couple, like, little awkward spots. There was, like, one spot where Will... Will took so long to set up this chop in the corner that he made Taichi look like an idiot, like, holding onto the ropes, like, just kind of, like, having to move around like he was in motion but couldn't actually go anywhere, just waiting to get hit. It's just like, just, just chop the guy, buddy. You don't have to wait that long. And he took also possibly the worst bump I've ever seen for the dangerous backdrop. Like, Taichi, like, Will Will was supposed to, like, handspring into Taichi's arms. Will seemed to jump way too high, so Taichi almost didn't even catch him. And then Will, like, rolls through the move like he's doing tumbling in a gymnastics class. And he stands back up, allegedly selling by grabbing on his head. That he didn't actually land on, and then he falls back down again. It was really fucking horrible. Uh, but yeah, I, don't, I mean, I, I'm pointing out things I didn't like about this match. There's a lot of stuff I liked. You know, there was like a, a really cool back and forth reversal sequence towards the end that ended with like a big last drive by Taichi. 
Um, you know, and he, Taichi super kick on Will in midair to break up the Oz cutter ruled. Uh, and then Osprey came back and won with his usual. But yeah, you know, I, I went three and a half on it. I liked it. Uh, but like, you know, Taichi's have much better matches than this. And I better not read anybody's saves, which is the best match of the G1, because you're wrong. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah, I mean, this, to me, this was a good match. Technically, I went uh, three and three quarters, but I don't have strong feelings about it at all. It was just kind of, you know, there for me. Um, obviously, with that rating, I enjoyed it while watching it, but I don't have any lingering strong th- thoughts about it. Um, kind of like a middling match for both guys, based on what you would expect. Um, like you said, there were some sl- sloppy points, but also obviously some pretty impressive spots. Um, you know, the thing that stuck to me for sure was the, the super kick on the, the os the os cutter, uh, you know, defending. The other thing is that how good Osprey is at these like Marufuji style kicks always surprises me, especially like when I've been watching Marufuji recently, um, that stands out. Um, but yeah, this match was just kind of there for me and, uh, not any strong feelings about it. Uh, the semi-main event, which was the first meeting of these two in seven years, Kota Ibushi defeating Minoru Suzuki in sixteen fifty-eight with the Kamigoe. Uh, it moves Ibushi up to five and two and drops Suzuki to three and four. Uh, so this was the kind of match where, like, I'm going to struggle talking about it because I really, really liked it, but at the same time, I can already tell, like, from looking at other, like, you know, the the rating sites and other people's takes that I'm lower on it than the consensus. So it's like, I'm going to sound like I hated it when I say I gave it four stars flat. I mean, I really liked it, but like a lot of people seem to like, you know, absolutely love this match. And I'm not at that like match of the year level. Like I thought it was really good. Um, You know, it just didn't land on that, like, you know, four and a half star plus level for me. But I wonder, maybe it did for you. I don't know. It did not. I have it at four and a quarter, which is for me really good. And, you know, sometimes that level of a rating gets it into my top 25. Um, but yeah, I think they did uh, the type of match that you'd want these guys to do, right? You got like pissed off Ibushi, which is definitely what you need to match uh, Minoru's energy. Um, the part of it that I think held it back a little bit to me, um, just like very technically, this is a, a weird nitpick, is that like I don't buy for a second that Ibushi wants to wrestle Minoru on the mat at all. And that's how they started this match. Yeah. Um, so for me, like, if they would have started out standing striking, that's more of an even plane. But for the match to go straight to the mat against Minoru Suzuki, there's no way Ibushi can hang with him. So that was like a weird start to me. Um, but they, once they got past that section, I think everything else made a lot of sense and, and was really well done. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, other, the only other issue I had, I guess, at the end, like there was like a... The, the standing Kamigoe that he did were, you know, where Suzuki kept countering the, the stand-up knee. So the, you know, the step-up knee, I should say. So the standing Kamigoe made sense, but it didn't look that great to me. And neither did the second Kamigoe either. So like, I don't know. So maybe I took a little bit of points off for that, but neither really had like the impact I was expecting. But, you know, it's the, one of these... The, oh, sorry, go ahead. The look on Minoru's face at the end <laughs> yeah. was priceless. Yeah, the, priceless. Creepy, the creepy smile was awesome. But... You know, the best part of this to me was when Suzuki, like, you know, obviously they, they traded those, like, disgustingly hard elbows. Uh, Suzuki, like, rolled through the Kamigoe at one point, like, right into this leg hold. And then, you know, straight into this Boston Crab, which was a really good counter. Uh, he, got the, the, he got it in locked in really deep, too. And then, like, switched to, like, the single leg when Ibushi almost got out. So all that stuff was good. 
but yeah, I mean, it was a, a really good match that I'm, you know, still below other people on. So what are you going to do? Uh, actually, that kind of holds true for the main event, too, even though I, did, I like this one even more. But some people are much higher on it than me. Uh, Kazuchika Okada defeats Shingo Takagi in 2745 by referee stoppage. Uh, Okada goes to 5-2, and two, and Shingo goes to 3-4. and four. Um, So this was like a really rare match where I absolutely loved it. I mean, this was a four-and-a-half-star four match to me, which, um, you know, low-end match of the year contender. Maybe might make my top ten. Um, you know, probably like the, the bottom half of the top ten. But at the same time, there, was, there were things about that really annoyed me, especially the ending. So we can talk about that. I mean, so you haven't been watching these Okada matches, and I guess you've been... Uh, divorced from the the discourse on Okada, which, you know, you should consider yourself welcome, honestly, because the discourse, especially on our, on the Voice Wrestling Discord, uh, you know, is, has been, like, really insufferable about Okada. And there's a, there's a spin from, and first of all, acting like because Okada had this level of match with Shingo Takagi automatically means that, like, Okada... Uh, you know, was working the entire time, and there's no way that, like, um, he actually was banged up. Like, that's very silly, because, like, if he was banged up, the storyline they've run with him was the perfect fucking storyline to give him a break and let him recuperate and have this kind of match. Like, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Obviously, you know, they are doing a storyline with him, but, like, this is exactly the type of storyline you would run with Kazuchika Okada, if you want 2020 to be, like, his year off. I mean, you you don't have to look any further than how he's been scheduled in this G1. When is the last time that Kazuchika Okada had a run of, I believe, three straight matches where he wasn't even in the semi-main event? Not even just not the main event. He was in match two or three on at least two straight shows. I think three straight shows. So, like... That's pretty much never happens, you know, if you look back at past G1s. I mean, he's always in, you know, the main, the main event and the semi-main event, except maybe a few shows here or there. So the fact that they're, you know, they, they put together the storyline to give him a chance where he wouldn't have to go out there and wrestle a match like this, you know, nine times like he tries to do in many G1s, or even seven or eight times. Um, so I think that was very clear, to, to me at least. And the other thing, too, it's like we're suddenly acting like having a, you know, four and a half star plus match with Shingo Takagi, of all people, is like, <laughs> makes you God's gift to wrestling. I mean, lots of people have outstanding matches with Shingo Takagi. I don't really think that's, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that means Okada uh, sucks either, but it's like, come on now. Like, this is the excuse. This is the, uh, the the fucking evidence we're using for like Okada is back. It's 2017 again. It just seems a little silly to me. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. That's just that's just my take on that. Now, this match itself. I mean, you know, outstanding match. Um, you know, Okada. Th- there were, like, some little things that annoyed me. There was, like, one goofy spot where Shingo was giving these alternating elbows and cross-face shots to a seat Okada. And you could see clear as day that he was making zero contact with his face. It looked pretty awful. Thankfully, it didn't last very long at all. But, you know. It definitely was notable. Um, but yeah, the the problem with this match to me, and again, this is the kind of thing that we, we debated endlessly in this Discord. And I, so I what I said in the Discord was something like, you know, the Okada super fans, uh, you know, like obviously don't have a problem with the money clip, but a lot of other people do. And they, 
some of the people on the Discord got very angry with me for saying that the people who like the money clip are Okada super fans because there is this perception among people who like Okada, especially in the West. I don't know about in Japan, but in the West, among people who really love Okada, that they are, you know, unbiased and the default and thinking Okada is the best wrestler on the earth and the best wrestler ever lived is the posi- the only rational position and anyone who dares say anybody else is better, you know, is biased or whatever. We're perfect and unbiased. And it's like, sorry, you if you think Okada is that good, so good that you don't hate this money clip, you are an Okada super fan. I don't know what to tell you. You really, you have to fucking love Kazuchika Okada to think this money clip is good. You're not actually supposed to like it. The entire point of the storyline is that you're supposed to want him to do the Rainmaker. So if you actually are trying to talk yourself into liking the money clip, you're an Okada super fan. I mean, I don't, I don't really see what is, uh, you know, irrational about saying that. And I don't know if you, you could correct me if maybe, maybe if you didn't hear this too. I definitely heard this and some other people uh, that I followed online heard this. At one point in this match, Okada locks his money clip in again. And the fucking crowd, who was going crazy, I mean, they were, like, making a ton of noise beyond just clapping. The air lets out of room at one point. Like, he gets the the money clip on, and the fucking crowd goes really quiet for a second. They start clapping again to try to rally Shingo to get out of it. But, like, the air lets out of room at one point, like, past the 25-minute call, when Okada gets his money clip on again. So, like, this move is just not, it's, it's not good, and it's not over. So, I don't know. Did, did, maybe you heard something different, but that's what I heard. Yeah, I mean, I think we're mostly on the same page. Uh, taking a step back a little bit, I think this is not a new thing for Okada. Obviously, I think Okada can be one of the best wrestlers in the world. I think his strongest suit, uh, his, his strength as a wrestler, is how his matches are structured. Yeah. Not like his in-ring work or his cool moves. That's never been the case, right? A good Rainmaker is is made a good Rainmaker by the guy who's taking it. Um, he's never really had a uh, like high-impact, um, you know, awe-inspiring moveset. It's always been like a logical moveset. So I think this move is logical in the space that it fills, but it looks terrible. It looks awful. And can we say, by the way, his submission finishers, his submission finishers have always sucked. Because I've watched yeah. all those Okada Tanahashi matches in order. Uh, the red ink sucked. It looked like the the John Cena STF hug a lot of the time when I when I was watching yeah. those Okada Tanahashi matches. Uh, he used to do this like wacky like lucha submission, not a finisher, but he used to do it in like every match. That fucking I sucked. Like- Oh. I like the lucha stuff. <laughs> that, I thought that's, that's the only one. To like. I like the lucha stuff, but that's it. The 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 other Cobra clutch he was using for a little bit leading up to that Naito the Naito match in 2018 that fucking sucked. I mean, pretty much every time he's tried to do a big submission, it has sucked. I mean, the man is just not good at submissions. It's okay yeah. to come out here and say that Kazuchika Okada is not good at something. It's not gonna. It's not the end of the fucking world. You can still think he's like the best wrestler in the world, but like. You should be able to acknowledge his flaws, and this move looks like shit. I mean, it just looked yeah. like, sh- and and the crowd would, the air would not have let out of that building if this move was over or if this move was good. So I'm I'm right. ranting about a match I loved. I'm ranting like negatively about a match I loved, but like some of the takes have just been like driving me completely crazy. So, and, I think, you know, this move could work 
in some ways, I mean, he's got to change how he locks it on because it just doesn't look painful. Yeah. Um, but I think it puts, again, a lot of the weight on the opponent to make it look like it hurts, which I think Shingo did well. Yeah, Shingo, um, Shingo sold it really well. So you have to give him all the credit yeah. in the world. So to me, this is not an Okada match. This is a Shingo match. Exactly. It's a fucking awesome Shingo match. Um, you know, one of his best of the year for sure. Um, I gave this match four and a half. That's what I gave it to. Which means I like it a lot. Like, it'll be, it's in my top ten right now. Um, but yeah, to me, like, not having been immersed in the storylines, this is just, like, an awesome Shingo match. And, like, Okada has a shitty new submission is basically what I, <laughs> is basically my takeaway. I'm glad you said that because I, I really felt like I was going crazy reading some of these takes. No. I mean... And beyond that, I'll say that, you know, the crowd connection with Shingo in this match. Oh, yeah. Like, almost made me forget that they're not allowed to say anything. Yeah. I mean, this, um, crowd, this crowd was here. If, if anyone thinks this crowd was cheering on Okada, you need to fucking get your ears checked. I mean, this crowd wanted Shingo Takagi to beat this man. 100%. So, and uh, um, beyond that, to me, this match shows that Shingo... I mean, if there, if there was any question already... I mean, I, think, I guess, you know, this time last year we were saying, yeah, he can definitely main event shows as a junior, or maybe not quite this time, but at some point last year, that was a question. Then, okay, for sure he can do really well in the G1. I mean, this guy could be the champ. They they have enough with him that he could be a main eventer. Um, and obviously, that's not a surprise uh, to anybody who's watching, who's been watching Shingo for a long time. But I think, like in the context of New Japan, it's very clear that if they want to put, uh, you know, pull the trigger on this guy, they certainly could. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I I, I just I I like watching this match. It's like Shingo Takagi, absolutely, you know, should uh, should be a main eventer. Uh, should be up at that level. Uh, I don't really think there's any disagreement there. Um, the the Shingo Rainmaker was such a awesome. That was the best Rainmaker from another person by anybody because it usually does not yeah. look that great. And here, like Shingo killed him. Uh, when most people hit the Rainmaker on Okada, like when Tanahashi hit it, it was always like, eh, it was like the the novelty of it. it didn't look that great, but Shingo fucking killed him. Um, and that was like the exact moment where the match went from like being. Very good to, like, incredible for the rest of it, basically. He did his own Rainmaker pose after that, when he went with the Pumping Bomber. That was was so awesome. awesome. Yeah, that was so great. Um, And, yeah, then Shingo, like, catches his arm when he tries the Roaring Lariat and hits the Made in Japan. Uh, And, you could again, like, that was when the crowd was, like, reacting really big, even though they're not supposed to. Uh, Just an incredible counter. But, yeah, like I said, the ending, I mean, if, if this match, to me, felt like it was building to either Shingo winning, first of all, or at least Okada having to break out the Rainmaker here. It would have been, it would have. I mean, I get it. Like this, maybe this, you don't want to pay the storyline off until at least the A Block final, maybe not the final final. But like, as far as what this match in a vacuum was building toward, it did not feel like it was building toward Okada just beating him with the fucking uh, money clap. I mean, it just that if 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 Okada had won with the actual Rainmaker or Shingo had won, I think it's e- easily four and three quarters, maybe even five for me. But, you know, just the fact that Okada beat him with the stupid hold, you know, makes it only, uh, quote-unquote, four and a half. So, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, but yeah, it, amazing match either way. If you if you haven't seen any... I mean, first of all, if you haven't seen this show, watch the whole thing because it's the best of the G1. But yeah. this is going to be one of the best matches of the year at the end of the year. 
Yeah. So there you go. Um, I, I agree. It's the best show of the G1. I don't really see how anyone can argue that as far as like top to bottom show. Uh, it just did a lot of really, really awesome stuff. Uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, awesome matches here and definitely the best out of the A block uh, in the entire G1 so far. So, the A block standings after the show. Uh, we have Kota Ibushi, Kazuchika Okada, Will Ospreay, and Jay White. They are all tied for first at 5-2. and two. Uh, Below that, you have a big log jam with Jeff Cobb, Ishii, Shingo, Minoru Suzuki, and Taichi, all 3-4, and four, and Yujiro Takahashi all by himself at 0-7. So, pretty clear the A block is going to come down to Okada and Ospreay. Uh, I think Jay White will get swarred on the last night by Ishii, and Ibushi will get swarred on the last night by Taichi. Uh, not really hard to see where they're going here, I think. But uh, That brings us then to night 14, which is from today, October 11th, at the Aichi uh, Prefectural Gymnasium in Nagoya. Uh, definitely not nowhere near as good of a show as the previous night, but I like the show. I thought there was a lot of good, you know, a bunch of good stuff on it. Uh, you know, nothing at the level of Okada Shingo or even Ishii Cobb, but a bunch of good stuff here. Uh, the opener was Gabriel Kidd beating Yoda Suji in 7.09 with a double arm suplex. Uh, I guess this is what you were talking about earlier. Suji, like, busted out, like, this wacky, like, lucha-esque hold with Kidd, like, yeah. trapped, behind, trapped between his legs in a ball. And then I love when he, like, rolled him straight into a cover for a near fall. Uh, it looked even better as a cradle than a hold, I thought, so. So that's one of Milano's old holds. Mm. Uh, and Milano went crazy for it when he did it. <laughs> so, um, you know... Yeah, I think that that's part of it. He's been alluding to the fact that he definitely wants to do his excursion in Mexico, so I think they're starting to kind of, in lieu of him being able to actually do it, like ha- teaching him some of the stuff so he can start incorporating it. Um, to me, this match was worked more like a G1 match than the previous Young Lions match. It was more hard-hitting. It was faster pace. I think Gabe works more of a, you know, a, a smash-mouth style to to say a stupid uh cliche but mm-hmm. um yeah I, I think this was really good i gave it three and a half mm. um and you know the other thing that jumped out to me during this uh match which i think is a contrast to um the next show we're going to talk about is how heard how hard this announced team works to put stuff over yeah so uh this is Murata, um milano and uh motoy right so then they've been doing like a lot of the the g1 shows this is my favorite announcing team in all of wrestling because i think they they work really well together and they they really focus on putting over the stuff in the ring so it's it's very clear when you contrast it to the other companies in japan i mean murata works he does ddt commentary too but um yeah yeah, very recognizable voice which which one is the which one is the woman's name again was she I think on... her name is Miki Motoy, right? Miki Motoy, yeah, I think that's... I mean, she's, like, really great. I mean, like, as far as, like, just, like, um, during COVID, just, like, reacting to moves, you know? And, like, having, uh, like, these visceral reactions. Jarena on the Noah show did that yeah. a few times, too. But, like, I think yeah. she, you know, Miki is way better. So, like, she's, she's just really good at that. Like, you know, she does a lot of these New Japan World shows... Um, you know, even like, especially when there's like another broadcast on Samurai, I feel like she does the New yep. Japan World broadcast a lot. And like, which is kind of funny because she also works for Samurai TV, but you know, she's out there doing the, like the uh, alternate audio 
uh, mm. on these samurai broadcasts. But yeah, but yeah, and she she's... speaks Spanish too, so she does the Fantastica Mania shows and like I think she does the Spanish interviews uh, a lot of the times. Yeah, but she's a really interesting woman. I mean, also like a, a real life meteorologist. Uh, you know, yeah, just so uh... like you know, people talk about who the you know trying to put or rank the New Japan announcers. This is definitely my favorite combination. Yeah, they're really good, and I and I like the. The play-by-play guy, you know, I don't, I don't always remember their names that well, but I, he has a very distinctive voice to me, so I hear him a lot in DDT, too, and he's, like, one of my favorite play-by-play guys in Japan. I mean, just... Yeah, a, I think his name is Haro Murata. Yeah, so just a outstanding play-by-play guy. Uh, the match itself here, I, I liked a little less than you. I only went two and three quarters. I thought it was, like, not one of the most memorable Young Lion matches of the tour, but it was fine, you know. Yeah, I like this kind of like basic wrestling a lot in general, so I'm usually pretty high on these. I thought the previous one was like excellent, but yeah, I, I can see how I'm a little high on this one. Yeah. Uh, match number two, Zack Sabre Jr. defeats Yoshihashi in 1334 with the modified Clarky cast. Uh, Zack is now 14 and, or four and three, and Yoshihashi is now one and six. Um, this was awesome. I mean, I you and I, I think, are both really big fans of uh of zach in this g1 and just in general and like you know we're both i think usually pretty high in his stuff but you know yoshihashi's having a great g1 and i thought these two worked really well together here with like zach you know really went after yoshi's arm from the beginning um then i mean i was ready to like not be thrilled with yoshi still going for the butterfly lock after zach had worked on the arm but i realized like the dominant arm in the butterfly lock is the right arm and the arm that zach was working on was the left arm so I don't know if they did that on purpose or not, but it definitely, uh, you know, worked out. So, you know, at least it, it didn't like, it wasn't like egregious or anything. Um, yeah, I think that was definitely on purpose. Yeah. So, you know, Zeus, um, I, I want to say Zeus, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Zach, um, you know, he didn't, he, he like does this great, like he goes to this cross arm breaker and Yoshi does this um, great, like, roll through like pin counter and it leads to like a really great like 2.999 call um which even got like an audible reaction out of the crowd um and then zach at that point like you know he finally like taps out yoshi with that modified clarky cat some other fucking british reference i'm sure but it's like this arm stretch that looked extremely painful uh it's not called taking tiger mountain by armbar <laughs> no i don't think so what is That's what is that that's a Brian Eno reference. Oh, I see. But no, nothing beyond that. I, I thought about that joke while I was running. Uh, but yes, there's, this was a lot of fun. Uh, the match felt extremely well with Zach's arm work paying off at the end. And Yoshi did a great job selling it as he kept trying to fire up with his other arm instead. Uh, and Yoshi's just, just shown great fire throughout this entire tournament. Uh, yet another great match for these two in the G1. Three and three quarters for me. Yeah, uh, th- three and three quarters for me, too. Um, I think, okay, Yoshihashi, obviously not the, um, like, you know, exciting pick for the G1 as an entrant, but he, I think he absolutely deserves to be in it every year until, you know, he's deteriorating as a wrestler because you need to have underdogs in this, you know, league for it to work. I mean, I, he's I, so gave, I, gave, I gave this exact same speech like last week. It's true. Because oh, it's like everybody, okay. I'm just saying, like everybody wants, like everybody wants to a lineup of like 20 fucking superstars. And it's like, yeah. you you got to have some people in there who can work different kinds of matches. Otherwise, you're, it's going to get boring as shit. This is going to be controversial, but I will take 
Yoshihashi in the G1, over Kento Miyahara, over Daisuke Sekimoto, I don't care who you put in, it needs to have people like this. Um, so, and he gets wins, right? If he loses every match, it doesn't work. But he has to get a win. He has to get two wins a year. Um, so, yeah, I think his selling was awesome. Obviously, you mentioned I'm a huge Zack Sabre fan. If Katsuhiko Nakajima is my favorite wrestler, Zack Sabre Jr. is probably my second favorite wrestler. It flip-flops. Um, and, yeah, awesome match. Surprisingly good, whatever that means, because I would expect his matches to be good. But, yeah, great great performance by uh, Yoshihashi. And I don't want to hear that he doesn't deserve a spot in it, because he absolutely does. Yeah. Uh, match number three, Kenta defeating Toriano in 8.56 by countout. Uh, Kenta moves up to 3-4, and four, and Yano... Falls to three and four. Um, I don't. I don't really think we didn't do a big recap of this match. I mean, like, look, it. I. I. Some people seem to really hate this one as far as Yano matches go. I thought it was pretty typical for a Yano comedy match, and at least it built to a a, a sincerely funny joke at the end. Like I actually did laugh out loud when Kenta's briefcase opened to reveal all these rolls of tape after he earlier had been freaking out about the the Yano tape rolls at the start and then like tied Yano to the post and won. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought the joke at the end was funny. Maybe went a little too long. Didn't really bother me more than any other Yano match. I went, I just like slapped three stars on it just because, I mean, rating Yano matches is kind of stupid anyway, but I have averages to keep up. So, you know. Yeah, I didn't bother me. Uh, usually I, you know, get a chuckle out of it, at least one chuckle out of every Yano match. And that was definitely the case here. I gave it a meaningless two and three quarters, but, uh, yeah, it was funny. That's all you need from it. (laughs) The the gravel average on this one especially, like, people gave it, like, there were a lot of, like, quarter stars. So people, <laughs> people were very I mean, angry about this match. It's like, okay. Yeah. I mean, those people just don't know what they're getting into with the Yama match. I guess. Or, or they just watch it to be angry. I feel like some people, you know. Yeah, well. I don't know. There's a lot of that on the internet in general, so. Uh, match number four was Sonata defeating Juice Robinson in 1506. With a moonsault, uh, Sonata moved up to four and three. Juice moved down to three and four. Um, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this because there's another one that I liked a lot more than uh, the what seems to be the consensus so far. I thought it was this was a perfectly good match. I went like three and a half stars on it. Uh, I didn't really have any problem with it. Some people seem to really hate it. Um, you know, I and I, I don't think either guy has really been that great in this G1. You know, especially Sonata, who like has been really disappointing to me. Um, you know, I'm usually someone who defends him more than most but he let he's let me down a few times in this tournament uh, especially the zach match that i was really looking forward to uh you know because i've like really liked their matches before and you know i thought they just had a very basic match um but yeah I, I didn't think he was bad here i didn't think juice was bad juice was uh you know coming off his best match of the tournament by a mile with naito so i thought he uh had another good match here but yeah i don't know some people seem to really hate this one so interested to hear what you think I did not hate this match. I did not like this match. I gave this match three stars. Uh, you know, I am usually uh, pretty high on Juice, but what I've seen from him this tour has been a little disappointing. Uh, you know, I think and that's definitely partly because, or maybe totally because of, like, the, the crowd situation, right? He usually has a really strong connection with the crowd. Um, you know, Sonata is... I thought Sonata was actually better than he typically is in this match. I think he did a really good job of connecting connecting with the crowd when he had uh, Juice, you know, in the Paradise Lock. Uh, even though that move always kind of, you know, puts a damper on my enjoyment of the match uh, when he does it. Um, 
yeah, this match was just kind of there for me. But yeah, I don't think it was like offensively bad or anything. But uh, I would definitely not recommend anybody go out of their way to watch it. Uh, shout out to Thomas Fishback, former guest, because he was like really complaining about it in the in the, uh, in the voice wrestling slack. So I don't know. I don't know what you're watching, buddy. But uh, uh, hang in there, I guess. The yeah. sem- <laughs> he, he, he's, he he might need to take a break. You just gotta take a break sometimes. <laughs> it's like when a three when a three star match or whatever is like bothering you that much. Uh, the semi main event: Hiroki Goto defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi in thirteen thirty eight with the GTR moved Goto up to four and three and dropped Tanahashi down to three and four. Um, stunning result, first of all. I think I don't think anyone really expected Goto to yeah. win this. Um, but yeah, this was awesome. I mean, like a real throwback match between these two. Uh, you know, Tanahashi. Uh, worked over Goto's leg at first to try to lock in the cloverleaf. Um, but I didn't think he worked it over too long to where it felt like, you know, it had to be a leg match by that point and Goto had to really sell it the rest of the match. So I thought they did a good job, like, picking picking the right point to, to, to cut that off at. And there was, like, this big fucking slugfest sequence for the two of them, just, like, trading elbows and strikes. Uh, that was awesome. It was, like, two old war horses going to battle. And it ended with, like, this, you know, Tanahashi... Ducks is for his roaring lariat, but then Goto gets the short arm lariat anyway. And that, that was really awesome. Um, but yeah, they ended up fighting on the top rope. Goto got him up on his shoulders, which was terrifying, and gave him a top rope top rope Ushigoroshi. That always looks like a, it always looks like a killer dude. I mean, yeah, and, and Goto does sure. an awesome job selling his own knee too when he lands, which you know, combined with the legwork earlier, it makes perfect sense that you'd sell your knee after like dropping a human being onto it from the top rope. Uh, and let Tanahashi kick out too. And like Goto like very carefully steadies himself on that leg right after, gives that big middle kick, goes to the GTR, Tanahashi like starts trying to punch his way out of it, so Goto like grabs his arm and spins him, hits the inverted GTR, and then Tanahashi, you know, nearly rolls him up, but Goto stops him again and just nails him with the real GTR, and that was the like when he hit that GTR, I'm like, oh my god, he's actually winning this. And then, you yeah. know, that was the pin. A stunning finish. Uh, Goto beats him decisively under 14 minutes. Great finish, just out of nowhere, but in a good way. Uh, you know, Goto, basically Tanahashi nearly counted him twice, but Goto had the perfect counters for the counters and then put him away. So, you know, made perfect sense. I went four stars in this. I love this. Best match on the show. I also went four stars. Um, you know, two things stand out to me. First thing, these guys don't work together that much recently. Uh, and they just like it's like riding a fucking bike like their chemistry is awesome um you know and and they gelled instantly it was almost like i mean i'm sure if we go back and watch some of their other matches together there'll be spots that are reused but they haven't done it recently so you know that's uh that's about they were very smooth together and the other thing is that like this was the g1iest match on the show like this was (laughs) this was the classic g1 match on a show with no classic g1 matches not classic in like quality but just like in the type of match that you would expect um so yeah i love this match everything you said about goto you know i think that the the knee work was good not the focus of the match but it did play into the whole thing uh you know beginning beginning to end so i think that was important and you know if i don't know i haven't seen tanahashi that much you know in the last month or so but he seems to be tanahashi as always to me yeah i mean he took a couple nights off in this tournament for sure like I remember that juice match at Cork, and you could tell he clearly was like, I'm not going to try that hard for this one. But, like, he's had some really great performances. Uh, you know, the Naito match, obviously, was just still my favorite match of the yeah. entire tournament. 
but also uh you know the the go this goto match the yoshihashi match was great uh the kenta match was really great i thought so you know some really good stuff there the evil match i mean he tried hard but the evil togo stuff was fucking stupid so that hurt that one a lot for me but yeah this was a, another great match here for tanahashi in this g1 he's having a really good one uh the main event tetsuya naito losing to evil in 2357 with the evil uh evil moves up to five and two and drops naito to five and two um the crowd was fucking hyped for this for the opening bell one of those things you would not know uh if you read some of the western fans only because uh you know there's lots of people who would tell you that the evil push was a giant failure and nobody cares it's like okay there's, there's clearly a disconnect between you and the japanese fans and, you know, it's fine if you don't... It, like, it, what I always say is it's fine if you don't like something, right? If you don't like something, you know... Uh, there's plenty of stuff I don't like that is popular with audiences and different promotions. The problem I have is when people project their feelings onto, pe- onto like, the Japanese fans that are at the, at the actual building when it clearly, to anyone watching, is not the case. I mean, clearly this evil stuff is over. And people tried really hard... To argue it wasn't, uh, just because of the fact that uh, we didn't have actual cheering crowds for the first time ever. But it's clearly over. I mean, I think that's... If, if you couldn't figure that out by the fact that people seemed really hyped for this match the moment the bell started, and even were clapping louder than they had all night and started making actual reactions for the first time all night, then I, I don't know what to tell you. This, this you, you cannot like it, you listening, but this is over. And it's just that's just a fact. So... Um, as far as the match itself, I really liked it. I thought it was uh, the best of their three matches together. You know, um, very slightly better than the Dominion match. Definitely better than the Jingu match. Uh, you know, they just they worked really well together. I mean, like Evil's control period, you know, wasn't super exciting. I mean, it started with like his normal chair stuff on the outside, and like you know, we got like, a chin lock. Uh, he sent Night to the exposed buckle. You know, the same kind of stuff we got from an all tour. Uh, but Naito's selling was great as always, so that, that went far enough to keep me invested. And, you know, Naito made a nice comeback. Now, the one thing I would say about this, like, that does confuse me a little bit at the storyline in general. Like, Naito makes his comeback, and he has, like, this glee in his eyes when he beats on Evil. And it makes sense that he would be feeling good, because first of all, you know, he beat this guy to win his double titles back in August and paid him back already for his betrayal in grand fashion. He's entering this G1 at 5-1. and one. I mean, he's like, you know, he's only lost, or entered this G1 match, I should say, at 5-1. and one. So he's only lost one match in the tournament so far. Uh, so it makes sense that Naito would be in a good mood. On the other hand, I would have liked to see a little more, like, viciousness and anger from Evil, because he seems, like, a little too pleased with himself sometimes during this whole run, where it's like, you know, you, you did betray Naito, and you did win the belts. You held him for a month and a half and <laughs> lost him right back to him. Uh, so you'd think he would be, like, a little more angry or a little especially towards Naito, or a little more like, uh, you know, not, he just always has this, like, really cocky smirk, and it feels kind of like, maybe you should be, you know, a little more pissed at this guy for taking the belts right back. It never feels like, I mean, I guess you could just say that's just his character, but it, it feels a little, like, unearned to me sometimes. Like, maybe maybe the, the storyline would work a little better for me if he was uh, a little more pissed at him in this match, you know? Yeah, I mean, so all... I'll, we're definitely on the same page. I think this is their best of, of their three recent matches. I gave it four stars. That's exactly I did not yeah, like, that's what I gave it to. I did not like either of the previous two matches at all. Uh, I 
I will also agree that I, I think the storyline is, is over with the fans. I just don't think Evil is particularly good um, at anything, really. I don't think he's good. I don't think he's good in the ring. I don't think he's good, uh, you know, at the heel stuff. And he's a terrible promo. And I think that I think that just all plays in together. Like the thing that you're saying, like he should be more angry. He shouldn't talk in like this weird cartoon voice either, but he does. <laughs> See, um, I like the promos, but I don't know. I've always thought like he has a weird charisma to him. And I think that's why they did decide to do the turn and, and try to push him at that level too. Plus he's very, you know, he's a good looking dude and that always helps in this company. But like, uh, I do think he has that charisma to him, but yes, I get what you're saying. Like he doesn't do a good job sometimes conveying real emotion. And I do think he would, he would be better off. Like instead of doing the cartoon voice, like maybe, uh, you know, just actually be angry at Naito for taking these belts back from him immediately. But you know, John, I think you would be a really good boss. Huh? Because you get, you, I think you would be a really good boss. Why? Because you you gave some really, you you just put that in a very kind way. Right? <laughs> he, <laughs> he he yeah. I was like you know, he's he's not very good, and you're like yeah. Some of the stuff he does, it could be better. So <laughs> yeah, to me, I mean, yeah, I think he's definitely over, and he has fans, and this was an excellent match. Um, but in general. His matches are almost an instant skip for me. Obviously, I, I watched this match, but uh, yeah, I think this is his best match in a, in a while, especially singles. See, I I liked him last year a lot, and like I don't know, I like his running around and doing lariat stuff. And I thought like down the stretch here, he was you know really good, like you know just like uh, first of all like getting. Like getting his comeuppance during the match, like he does, he does this awesome superplex off the top rope, but he stands there forever smirking about it, like almost like the fucking Bond villain, you know, that like yeah. get, has to admire his own handiwork forever and just like waits for Naito to get up, you know, instead of doing anything, and that let Naito like drop him with the Gloria. Um, but I thought yeah, he worked. He definitely worked for the match in this match. Like he, the stuff he did was placed well it was done well it was executed well so in in that sense like technically i don't think he's a bad wrestler i just feel like he usually makes really weird choices mm. in his matches um but this was devoid of all of those so you see that he has a potential to be a really good wrestler but yeah i think that's my main beef with him is that he usually makes really weird and and sometimes destructive choices to the matches uh yeah that, that's a good point i guess i assume that like naito um you know, like Naito doing the, uh, like Naito being such a great, like he has like a great reputation for laying out matches, right? So I assume that's part of the part of it, the thing here is like he probably yeah. laid this out. But yeah, I mean, like there were some great spots here. Like Evil uh, at one point blocks Naito's wind up spinning neckbreaker in like an evil noses guy type of way, which is not a move that Naito, you know, typically gets countered on at all, right? You know, like, an evil, like, just kind of shoves him down mid-move and, like, hits his big standing senton. So that was a cool little touch. Uh, but, yeah, and then there's, like, a this half-Nelson suplex from evil after Naito uh, collided with the exposed corner. Uh, and Naito takes that, of course, right on his neck. And then evil does, like, this big lariat that, uh, you know, Naito takes a huge flying bump for um, and leads to a really close two count. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the the finish. I thought they did a good job limiting the Dick Togo silliness here. Uh, you yeah. know, Togo runs in, but then like, you know, Naito elbows him down before he can do anything. 
uh, you know, Naito eventually gets out of the the spoilers choker, uh, as it says on the back of his shirt, which continues to be really ineffective yet lately. Like, apparently that was good for two matches, uh, against Naito, uh, at, when he won the belts, and against Hiromu to retain them, and it really hasn't worked at any other time so far. Uh, but yeah, so Naito, like, fought his way free all by himself, uh, and, like, swept Togo off the apron, and they went, like, at that point, Togo was basically dumped the rest of the match, and they did, like, a really fun, exciting, like, back-and-forth sequence. Uh, Naito actually hit that diving forearm for the first time in about, uh, a million years, and... You know, he got, went for the Valentia, Evil reversed, trying to go for the STO. Naito get out and hit Naito got out and hit the running Destino. He hit it like almost like twisting Evil's neck around in midair. I think that was because he was afraid they like he was gonna overshoot him. But it looked it ended up looking pretty badass. Yeah, uh, it like, looked really good. Uh but yeah, Evil kicked out of it. Uh and like last night in Osaka, you could hear the crowd like audibly reacting here. And then Naito wound him up for the real STO. Or the real Destino, I mean. And Evil basically threw him back on his feet, hit the STO out of nowhere for the pin. Pretty much the cleanest win he's gotten all tournament. Uh, you know, definitive win here for him, which I think he definitely needed. So yeah, I went four stars on it. Uh, like, you know, just like you, I really liked it. Uh, I think it's Evil's best match in the G1, other than maybe the Yoshihashi match. They were both really good. Uh, but, you know, I thought it was nice to see him get to win clean for a change and make a statement heading into these last two shows. So really good main event. Very good show, I would say. Yeah, good show. And I think the the commentary to me really stood out on this one, too. Obviously, Milano has a connection to the storyline, but it really, him anticipating calling the moves added a lot uh, to the match to me. And it, all three of them were in on that, like, that aspect of the, the match calling. So, yeah, the commentary, I feel like, in this match was exceptional. Yeah, I mean, the the you could the way they add a lot of excitement to these shows just by like even if you don't understand the language at, at all, or even if you only understand it at my like third grade level, uh, <laughs> you can still get something out of it because they're they I feel like they yell extra loud just to try to make up for the lack of crowd noise, and they do they do a really good job. So you know, have to give them a shout out. Uh, the B block standings here we have Naito and Evil. They're tied at five and two, although Evil now has a tiebreaker on him, which probably I, th- I think probably will come into play. Uh, after that, we have Goto uh, and Sonata and Zack Sabre Jr., all at four and three. Uh, then you have Tanahashi, Juice Robinson, Toriano, and Kenta at three and four. And then all by his lonesome Yoshihashi at one and six. Uh, so my top ten matches after the 14 nights... Really not a lot has changed here since the last time I did it on the Patreon. The big new addition here would be Okada Shingo, which is in fourth place for me at four and a half stars. Uh, I like I have three matches above it in this G1. I have uh, Ibushi and Jay White from night three, Naito versus Zack from night four, and Naito versus Tanahashi from night two uh, as my top three. So the Okada Shingo slides in at fourth. Uh, we'll go over the whole list again after the G1's over, but yeah. Um, what, what is, what's, is, what's been like the best matches you've seen in the G1 so far that you've, I mean, I know you haven't seen all of them, but. Yeah. So my top two are Zach versus Naito and Zach versus Kenta. Yeah. Zach and Kenta was like seven uh, for me. So definitely up there too. Uh, um, yeah. So those two Zach matches, I liked Ishii, Ishii and Minoru a lot. I liked Tanahashi and Naito a lot. Um, I liked Osprey and Shingo. Yeah, and obviously the Okada Shingo match that we just talked about, I liked a lot. Um, 
I don't know. I don't have a rating down here for Jay and Ibushi, but I remember liking that a lot. Maybe I just forgot to write it down. This is why I don't. I can't talk about my top <laughs> my top ten because I'm just not so diligent about taking notes. But yeah. yeah, those ones that I mentioned have been the ones that that uh, stood out to me, um, in general. Right. Uh, before we get off the G1, the last thing, a quick look ahead to Tuesday's show, which is night 15. Again, uh, this will be covered on the Omakase Patreon, so you can subscribe at patreon.com slash wrestlingomakase. It is an A-block show from the Hamamatsu Arena. Uh, your your young line opener is Uemura versus Gabriel Kidd. Uh, match two, Will Ospreay against Jeff Cobb. Uh, assume Ospreay will win that, but, you know, he'll be paying Cobb back, too, from pinning him for the never title uh at msg last year uh which i'm uh, it took me a while to even remember that but yes Cobb did beat him in that champion versus champion match they had uh match three kota ibushi at 10 points against yujiro at zero i assume kota wins that uh match four shingo and taichi both at six points that'll be an interesting one um could really see that going that one going either way and then the semi-main event Minoru suzuki at six points against jay white at 10 um, I believe this is their first meeting since their G1 meeting two years ago. I think it was G1 2018. And I remember really liking that at the time. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see these two uh, go at it again. And the main event, Okada versus Ishii, uh, you know, should be... I, I assume all the 10-point guys are just going to walk out with wins here. But we'll see if they throw in any curveballs. Uh, and obviously that, you know, Okada and Ishii have had some great matches before. So we'll see. Uh, so there's your G1 talk. Let's move over to the NOAA N1 victory. The finals were held today, October 11th, from the Edeon Arena Osaka. Uh, I would call this an, a really good show overall, especially for two two matches in particular. Uh, but like just just a up and down, really good show. Um, a great ending to what was a really good tournament. So I don't know if you have any. I, I assume you don't disagree with that. Yeah, I really enjoyed this show as well. Um, I think it's probably the best show of the tournament, but I, I don't really have that in front of me. But yeah, definitely worth watching. Definitely the best match of the tournament and an- another really good match. Um, yeah, let's talk about it. The opener was Full Throttle, uh, Hajime Ohara, Seki Yoshioka, and Yohei defeating Junta Miyawaki, Kinya Okada, and Seiya Morihashi in 11.33. I thought this was a real fun Junior Six-Man opener. Ended with Yohei pinning Junta with a diving double knees off the top. Uh, I would go three and a half stars on this. Exactly what you want out of this kind of match. All action. Yeah, that's higher than I went. I give it three, but I liked it a lot too. Uh, I thought the finish looked awesome. Yohei usually has a hard time at like really delivering an impactful finish. Uh, but this was probably the best I've ever seen that move done. Um, so that was awesome. Uh, I think we talked about like Junta being uh, Junta Junta's come comeback being meaningful, and you didn't seem to. What did you think about him in this match? Uh, you broke up there for a second. Sorry, you said. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna ask what you thought about Miyawaki. I thought he I thought he looked good. Yeah, I mean, I thought he, uh, you know, definitely definitely stood out as somebody that has a lot of potential. Yeah, I think he's definitely. You know, I wouldn't have expected it at first when he first debuted, but he's definitely going to be an asset in this junior division going forward. So I, I think he's really good. Uh, match number two, Congo, Neo, and Tadasuke defeating Akatsuki Saito and Masao Inoue at 9.01. Uh, I skipped this just to be on the safe side time-wise. 
because uh, you and I had a time. We had to start this and I had to finish this show. Finish this show. Uh, and I had some issues streaming the show at first and had to restart my computer. So nobody cares. But I skipped the match. Uh, you know, I like I like in a way, especially for like being an old goofy guy. But, you know, uh, maybe I'll go back and watch it later. You don't need to. It was fine, <laughs> but you don't need to go back and watch it again. Uh, the third match here was an eight-man tag team match with Sugira Goon, uh, Kazucha Sakuraba, Kazuki Fujita, Kendo Kashian, and Takashi Sugera, defeating the Congo team of Kano, Manabu Soya, Masa Kitamiya, and Yoshiki Inamura in 14-14. Um, I'm not sure if it was announced before or after this match, but uh, Sakuraba and Sugera's first GHC tag title defense will be against uh, Soya and Kitamiya on October 28th at Korokin. Uh, you know, they could, they kind of went at each other during this match. You know, I, this was a pretty standard multi-man, fun, but, like, nothing you got to go out of your way to see. But I had a quarter star for the ending with Fujita murdering poor Inamura, the slaps to the face, the soccer ball kicks, and finally that straight-down that straight down power bomb uh, that looks sick as hell. Um, apparently this caused a lot of controversy on Twitter today. People were very angry with Fujita. Uh, I don't I don't know. It's, it's Kaz Fujita. I mean, that's kind of what he does. I don't know what yeah. people are like. I don't know. It's like it's like getting really mad at Kaz Fujita for, you know, being very stiff and kind of dangerous. Just You're seems, like 20 years too. Long. Yeah, it's like, I mean, the guy barely rustles at this point. It's not, doesn't seem that big a deal. And, you know, I saw someone on Twitter basically say there's like, there's a lot of stuff in wrestling that's, you know, just as dangerous, if not more, uh, you know, in that, that just like, I guess, doesn't look like it to some people. That nobody calls out to that degree, so I don't know. It feels a little performative sometimes with Fujita and like people. I get it. You don't like people don't like a Nokiaism, but like you know, it just seems a little a little much. But yeah. yeah, I went three and a quarter. I had a good time. I went two and three quarters, but I, I did enjoy it. Um, I think you know, looking at the tag title match coming up, I think they're probably going to borrow the structure of this quite a bit, which is you know Soya t- taking a big beatdown and then. Uh, a hot tag to to Masakita Mia, which I think is the perfect role for him. He does really well in that role. He struggles more when he's on offense more. So I think you know that'll that'll hide that weakness quite a bit. Um, yeah, and who would have thought we'd be looking at that match and not expecting Sakuraba to be the weak link in it? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he had a great M one. So uh, match number four for the GHC Junior Tag Team Titles: uh, Momo no Seishun Tag, uh, Kotoge and Arata. Defeat the singer team of Hayata and Yoshinari Ogawa in 24-32 to win the titles. Um, I thought this was good. I thought it dragged a little bit for me. Like, it really started to drag by the end. Um, but just when I was ready to write it off completely, uh, Harada and Hayata got, like, got me really into it again with a really fun exchange. A super close flash pin near fall for Hayata that again got an audible crowd reaction. But it ended pretty much right after that with the Kadayama German from Har- that's what it's called, right? I think Kadayama. Uh, yeah. yeah. Harada on Hayata for the pen, uh, and that made that. Here's a. Can, let me see if you know this off the top of your head. Do you know how long it's been since uh, they were last junior tag team champions, Harada and Katoge? Uh, twenty sixteen. Well, you you nailed it. Yeah, so it's the first time they've they vacated these belts. Uh, December 26, 2016. So, you know, this is almost four years here. They're finally junior, junior tag champions again. 
Um, you know, I, I won the Noah trivia show, John. That's true. That's true. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, I really, I really wasn't sure what to rate this one. I went with three and a quarter. There were parts of it I really liked, but it just dragged a lot for me by the end of it. I gave it three. I thought it lacked uh, four. The significance of the the return of Kotoke and Harada as a team. I think I feel like it lacked a story, which is disappointing because. All, all four of those guys are very capable of having an excellent match, but this just wasn't it for me. Um, like you said, I thought the finish was good, but I feel like they could have done a lot more with this match. The one thing that stood out to me, though, is that like Harada and Kotoge looked almost like deflated in winning. Um, they don't want. They don't, look, yeah, they don't want to do this. Yeah, they, they <laughs> totally don't want to do this. Which, <laughs> if if it's if it's not a storyline, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about later about how they played into the rest of the show, but. Um, if it's not a storyline, I mean, come on, come on, guys. You just won some titles. <laughs> at, at least crack a smile. Yeah, I mean, they just, you know, Kotoge to me has always has looked like a guy that uh, he's looked like a guy that got demoted back to the junior division pretty much since he got demoted back to the junior division. So, um, you know, I, I just think in general he hasn't really looked super into much of anything since uh, he went back to the juniors last year. But uh, yeah. it's rubbing off on Harada, I guess. But we'll see. Uh, they make their first defense on October 28th at Corican, uh, the same show as the, t- the heavyweight tie titles. Uh, it'll be against Yohei and Seki Yoshioka uh, from Kotoge's former unit of Full Throttle. They were together like all three months before this happened, of course. But uh... Musical chairs in this <laughs> division. Uh, the next match for the junior heavyweight title, the singles title, uh, this was this ruled. Kotaro Suzuki defeats Hao in 15-47. Um... I had no idea. I mean, like, like how was a guy who's like he was in Michinoku Pro before this, and like I had no clue he was this good because <laughs> it's like who the fuck is watching you know Michinoku Pro in the last like decade, right? I mean, they barely ever make tape. I don't, I don't think. I mean, I never see them on the fucking samurai schedule or anything. Yeah. So like, you know, it's hard to know exactly who's good and who's not there. But like, this dude is awesome. I mean, he was great here. Um, mm. You know, he was the former Yuki Sato. Uh, the former Ken Bai. But yeah, I mean, he was just really, really good. I mean, he's been good in the lead-up, too. But yeah, I mean, he was really good during this match. Um, you know, they had a, a really fast start uh, before it devolved into, like, Kotaro working him over a little more slowly. And then eventually we get uh, a, a Rana on Kotaro from the apron to the floor. And Kotaro Suzuki should not be taking a bump like that. And, like, isn't he... I don't, actually, I don't know how old he is at this point. But he he feels like he must be old because he's been working forever, but he could have started really young. He's only 42. Mm, I, think he's, 42. Yeah, I think he's around 40. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know if he should be taking that bump at 42, but uh, I would have guessed like 45. So, uh, But yeah, a truly ridiculous bump. Like really like the smack of his back on the ground was really gross. Um, you know, there was like a lot of great action after that from both guys. Uh, some fun flash cradle near falls. A super close near fall off of an awesome-looking Tiger Driver reversal. And then, uh, you know, he finally finishes him off pretty much right after that with the... Uh, God, what the hell is that move called? Do you know off the top of your head? They were saying that it was uh, it was a tribute to Ricky Marvin, and they called it the Santa Maria, which I think is oh, what Ricky called yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but then I saw something else about it being from Kinnikuman. Uh, ah, okay. What? But I, I don't really know. I know um, one point. At one point, that he did the death scythe, which is like that elbow thing he yeah, does. Which I'm like, oh, okay, Gundam Wing reference. I got that one. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, but yeah, that this was awesome. 
Uh, for sure, the match of the night up to this point, easy four stars. So, yeah, I went four two. Um, you know, previously I said that Zach and and Kachiko were my two favorite wrestlers. My next two favorite wrestlers are probably Kotaro Suzuki and Sho. So, um, I love Kotaro Suzuki. I think he, you know, people are very easy, very quick to slap like a Misawa reference on wrestlers. Um, but I think there's no one more deserving of that, you know, that comparison than Kotaro. I think he, he pays tribute to Misawa every time he gets in the ring, both with the match structure and the elbows and, and just obviously, you know, everything he learned from, from Misawa. So it's always a pleasure to watch Kotaro wrestle. But I think Hao is also like the perfect opponent for him, right? Because he's so much smaller. The pace of this match in the beginning, you know, compared to the junior tag match was so refreshing. After that was kind of like a slog. This one got out to a really quick pace, which is like what you want from a junior match, especially on a show that, that didn't really have any more any other, other uh, fast-paced matches at this point. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I would say this is probably Kotaro's best match of the year and Hao's best match in who knows how long. Um, I would definitely recommend checking it out. And uh, I would have personally preferred to see this in the semi-main spot. Um, but there's obviously some political reasons that prevented that from happening. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, but definitely check this match out. I think they have it up on Abema for a, a, an entire week, and I think um, they have the matches up individually. They do, So, yeah. so I got yeah. four on the so, main event. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the, that's the downside to it, but definitely check this out. Um, these guys are probably not going to get much credit for it, but this is one of the better junior matches of the year. Um, afterwards, uh, we found out the next challenger will be Daisuke Harada, the new junior tag champion. He came out with Kotoge to challenge Kotaro. So that will happen on November 8th at Korokin. This will be his sixth defense already. It's like, Jesus, he's held this belt for a while, apparently. Uh, yeah. But yeah, when the fuck did he win it? I don't even remember. Let me see. I'm curious now. He won he... this title <laughs> uh, April 19th. Okay. Oh, that was the... Oh, no, that was Kawasaki? Okay. I, I would have guessed that was the show. So he challenged Ogawa, I think, on that show with the, with the what's it called thing? The, uh, God, the, the Fujita match that everybody hated. Uh, or, like, lots of people liked, but everybody, a lot of other people hated. You know, the Fujita, what's it called match? Shiozaki? Yeah, the Fujita-Shiozaki match. But that's where, okay, that's where Ogawa won the title, I think. Uh, oh no, Ogawa won the title January 14th. What am I talking about? Okay, anyway, I don't know what I'm talking about. So apparently I had the timeline completely wrong in my head. But either way, Kotaro won the belt during COVID, I guess, is what it comes down to. It was it says at Noah TV studio in Kawasaki. So, um, but yeah, he's already... Yeah, that... Oh, sorry, go ahead. That was one of their... They were doing those like uh, shows on, on DDT Universe at the time. Yeah. Um from that studio but you can't okay here we go do they have oh, on the website they don't have the like the defenses like the new japan site is so, so the, the defense is he's beat he beat kotoge on june 14th kasayashi june 21st so those are like mm -hmm. two of those tv shows and then yohei july 19th sekiyoshi that's a good match yeah i remember liking that one and then sekiyoshi Yoka, august 30th so. Yeah, that one was okay. But I think Yoshioka is is a good add to the division in general. I think he'll have better matches. But I think of those matches, this is definitely Kotaro's best match. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, the semi-made event, a eight-man tag team match. 
Uh, it was Daiki Inaba, Goshi Ozaki, Mohamed Yone, and Shuhei Tanaguchi losing to the M's Alliance team of Keiji Mudo, Masaki Mochizuki, uh, Masakatsu Funaki, and Naomichi Marufuji. Uh, I like this. I didn't think, I mean, I thought maybe based on what you just said, maybe you don't didn't like this that much, but uh, I thought it was good. I mean, I really enjoyed seeing Funaki in there. I thought going, he, and Funa, he and Go, uh, you know, were like a, a focus early on. Uh, you know, it went 22 minutes, but to me, it never felt like it really dragged. So, I don't know. Um, Mudo, like, took a deadlift suplex bump from Go at one point, which at his age is, I don't know how the fuck he's doing that, honestly. Uh, and Marifuji, I thought, looked better in this match than he did in the entire N1, probably. <laughs> like, yeah, for he, sure. He did, like, a really fun chop exchange with Go, uh, which ended, like, this big wind-up lariat uh, answering back from Go to Marifuji's kicks. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess Marufuji can only do tags at this point. But yeah, Funaki ends up getting the pin on Yone with the Hybrid Buster. I went three and a half. I thought this was good. I went two and three quarters. I thought it was a little longer than I would have preferred to see. Um, I think I was just too excited for the main at this point. Wanted them to get in and out quick, but that obviously did not happen. Um, I They definitely set up at least one match with this, which is surprisingly going to be Muto against Taniguchi. Yeah. Uh, they don't, I don't know when that's happening. But November, that oh, definitely hap- November 22nd. Yeah, November 22nd, Yokohama Budokan. Wow. Yeah, so that's going to happen. That'll be cool. Um, Muto versus Kaito was, was fun to me, so I think this will be good, a good spot for Taniguchi. He, you know, he can, he has good matches in him, so I think that'll be interesting at least. Um, and then maybe, did they also announce Inaba versus Marufuji? I didn't see that announcement. If they did, okay. So they kind of, they kind of, uh, you know, uh, implied that they might do that at some point too. Inaba, you know, he's a guy that I think I hope sticks around in Noah, but they really haven't done anything with him yet, other than like his first like brush with Kaito right when he started. Um, but I think he's also a good piece. You know, I think Noah did really good in kind of like cleaning up the pieces of of Wrestle One compared to other companies. So. They have some good pieces going forward, and yeah, I think they have a lot more with Inaba than they're, you know, they've shown so far. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the main event, the Noah N1 Victory Final, uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima defeats Kaido Kiyomiya in 25-24. Um, absolutely incredible match. One of my Match of the Year contenders here. I mean, this was... I, I know this is not going to be a popular take, but I thought this was better than the Champion Carnival Final. Uh, I went four and a half on that Kento Zeus match. I went four and three quarters on this one. I just thought this was like exactly the kind of match I wanted to say these two go out there and have. Nakajima just fucking whipped Kiyomiya's ass throughout this entire match. Just kicked the shit out of him. And Kaito, you know, Kaito has gotten a lot better at everything else too. But the thing he was always originally like great at was his selling and being sympathetic while he got his ass kicked. And man, did he like... On another, he was like even better at it than usual, which is saying something. I mean, he like just took the ass kicking of a lifetime here and like sold it and sold it and sold it. And by the end, like you know, Jarena on commentary, who's a she's a pop star, used to be in a one of the AKB48 offshoots. I don't I don't remember which one. Could get my my buddy Ethan on here, be able to tell you uh, all the idle information, honestly. But uh, but yeah, Jarena was like gasping and like. You know, she's a big Kaito fan, I think. And I think that's yeah, like yeah. one for and sure. Like, and, you know, she's like, you you felt, you her on commentary added to this because she you felt like she was like watching her her favorite die or something while it was going on. Um, and like Kaito. At one point, 
Uh, sorry to cut you off. At one point, uh, you know, he gets Kaito gets kicked in the face, and she like gasps and goes, "Oh no, his pretty face." <laughs> <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, you know, and I think I think they did a really good job of bringing her in. I, it's it's pretty clear to me that the entire purpose of using her on commentary is to help get Kaito over. It's yeah. been like that since the beginning, but she's really good at it. Um, so, yeah, I think this was was really good too sorry to cut you off keep going yeah i'm just like the stretch run here i mean look it started out if i i could see people complain about the start i like the start i thought like you know it was basic stuff with the headlocks and the leg scissors for the first five minutes but like i thought they were intense i thought you know they they did that mat wrestling better than lots of big matches i've seen where like uh you know they you can tell they're going long i mean i like the start of this honestly and then like the stretch run I mean, like, you know, the just full of awesome shit. I mean, like, these incredibly hard slaps from Nakajima. You know, Kaito comes back with this awesome jumping knee. I mean, he nails this guy right in the face with that knee. It was so great. Yeah. Uh, gets a tiger suplex hole for a really close near fall. He goes for another tiger. Nakajima won't go for it. Uh, they trade a few more move attempts. They go back and forth, but not in a silly way. And then Nakajima hits this disgusting high kick. I mean... He murders this man with this high kick. And somehow that is not the most disgusting kick of the 30 seconds. Because then he follows it up with an even more disgusting punk kick. It gets audible gas from the audience. Jarena sounds like she's going to cry when he hits that punk I mean, you can hear her on commentary. And you can see a bruise already forming on Kaito's face, I think, when Nakajima lifts him up on his shoulders. For sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he hits that diamond bomb for the pin. I mean, perfect finish. I mean, there, there was no way Naka, or, uh, Kaito should have been able to come back from that. Uh, but yeah, I love this match. It's four and three quarters for me. It's either the best match of the COVID era or second best match. I have to decide. It's either this or Naito Tanahashi for me. They're both going to be right up there on my match of the year list. I mean, like, just an absolutely incredible match. And like, you know... Um, I think this was better than, like I said, better than Zeus Kento by a little bit. I went four and a half on that. So, you know, just an outstanding tournament final. Uh, outstanding ending to a outstanding tournament. I gave it, this is going to sound anticlimactic, but I gave it 4.5, four and a half stars, but it's also my match of the year. So <laughs> um, I, I did love it a lot. I just didn't rate it as high as you did. Um, yeah, that the best finish of the year to me. I mean, the first kick... Like, I love kicks, right? That was the best kick I've ever seen, I'm pretty sure. Um, like, just in terms of execution and, and, like, how fast he kicked him. It's like he came out of nowhere. Like, I almost feel like I got kicked in the fucking face watching it. Um, and then the second one was just brutal. Um, like, almost like, oh, why why do you have to? Like, he's already dead. Why did you have to do that? The strikes, the slaps earlier, obviously, like you said, were, were super brutal. I think the other thing about Kaito that's really good is that how he weaves in the selling into his offense. So, like, as you mentioned, he's excellent at selling, excellent at giving the other guys, you know, the right, uh, you know, opponent, basically, to put their offense over. But his offense is also, like, kind of built around desperation, right? Like, he gets the, he gets Kachiko up to the top rope and goes for that reverse DDT. But, like, you have a feeling that, like, if he doesn't get that move off, it's pretty much going to be over for him. But he keeps kind of hanging on to the the story of the match and keeps hanging on to the match before eventually he just gets overwhelmed. But yeah, that jumping knee was awesome too. That reminded me of like the jumping knee that Akiyama used to do. Um, I'm wondering if we're ever going to get like any type of Noah comeback for Akiyama. Now they have a, uh, 
they share a parent company but yeah this match was was fucking awesome and to me it's it's the best match of the year and it's awesome because like going in with your your favorite wrestler in the the, the biggest spot of the the year you want him to deliver right um and and he totally delivered and not, and not to 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 minimize Kaito's performance at all cuz i think it's probably you know, if not Kaito's best match ever, certainly one of his top five. Yeah, I mean, like this. I think I like. I think I still put Kaito Go from January fourth very slightly above this one. But I mean, two amazing matches for what? I mean, Kaito at this point, like this match to me cemented to me that like if he's not my most outstanding wrestler, he's like no worse than second or third. I mean, Kaito, Kaito or Katsuko? Kaito, because he had an outstanding okay. year. Nakajima was like right below that too. But like Kaito between this and the Go match. Both being like probably they're going to finish either two three or two and four on my match of the year list. Uh, you like the Hideki Suzuki match too, right? Yeah, and they yeah. and like and Kaito had several other matches in this in this M one that I really liked. Um, you know, he had my my second best match of the tournament too at Mochizuki. So I mean, just like just some incredible stuff from him this year, and I think you know he's he's a most outstanding wrestler candidate for sure. Um, yeah, I think both of them definitely are in that conversation. Um, and yeah, I think both of them really were highlights of the entire the entire tour too, which is what you want from some of your top guys. And you know, they're both going to be in the main events for the rest of the year. Um, I'm sure you'll talk about this. Well, you already mentioned it, but you know, Noah has a show coming up at the Yokohama Budokan, and they also announced one coming up at uh, Yoyogi um, here in Tokyo. So those are two it, big. When is the Yoyogi show again? I think December sixth. Okay. Let me pull it up real quick. Wow, that's right after Yokohama Budokan. But yeah, this this Nakajima Go match is at Yokohama Budokan on November twenty second. So Nakajima. Yeah, so that. Yeah, that's those are the dates: November twenty second and December sixth. So I wonder if they'll come right back on their title match. That'll be interesting. But yeah, uh, Nakajima Go, uh, November twenty second at the new Yokohama Budokan. So as many people would have suspected. But there you go, the big Axis blow off match. Kano like got on commentary at the end too, right? Did you pick up what so- he was saying? Yeah, so he was there the whole time, just sitting next to Kobashi, but not saying anything. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I've mentioned this on other podcasts before. I don't think I've ever mentioned it here. But Kano's like basically the best interview or the best promo in all of Japan. So to have him sitting there and not say anything the whole time was was pretty shocking. But um, you know, finally at the end of the match, he just basically puts over how you know Katsuhiko's representing Congo, and you know he's you know uh you know one of the top wrestlers in the world and he's gonna win the title and basically just putting over nakajima which was great um but i think they're kind of i think they're gonna him and Kano are gonna meet very soon again if not uh in yoyogi you know definitely in the the near future i think this alliance is is gonna be pretty uh short-lived yeah i agree i mean i think nakajima's gonna, gonna end up taking the unit from him probably but yeah, Kano, Kano has a very like distinctive voice too. So it was like, oh my god, who the hell is that? And it's like, oh, there's Kano. But yeah, it was uh... screaming, and Kobashi's just sitting there like, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I thought he I, I thought he said something like, uh, you know, something about Axis being dead or something, or Axis is gonna like be put aside or I don't know. My Japanese isn't that good, but he said something about Axis. But yeah, uh, he definitely did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was like really interesting. It felt like he was taunting Go over like Axis being over basically. Uh, but yeah, th- this was a, uh, a really, really good, really awesome main event, obviously a really good show overall. Uh, you know, definitely if you're going to, if you're going to like skip around, definitely watch the junior title match and the main event for sure. 
Uh, let me quickly give my top ten in the N1 since, you know, so I include the final in the top ten because it's a match that happened. I mean, it should be included. Uh, I don't I don't include it, like, in the averages, like, for the wrestlers, so. Because, uh, you know, it's not fair to the, you know, these two guys get to, ha- get to have, like, one more main event, you know. Uh, but the top ten here, I have Kano versus Taniguchi from the B block on night three at three and three quarters. Uh, then in ninth place, Marafuji versus Sugera. The only Marafuji match is any good in the entire tournament. And the B block, three and three quarters on night three. Uh, in eighth place, Kano versus Nakajima from the B block. Uh, four stars on night one. Seventh, Goshi Ozaki versus Kaito Kiyomiya in the A block. Four stars. Sixth place, Nakajima versus Taniguchi from the B block. Also four stars. Uh, fifth place, Kaito Kiyomiya versus Mata- Kiyomiya. Uh A block, four stars. And then the four through two are all four and a quarter. Uh, Go Shiozaki versus Masaki Mochizuki in the A block in fourth. Go Shiozaki versus Kazuchi Sakuraba in the A block in third. And Kaito Kiyomiya versus Masaki Mochizuki in the A block in second. And then obviously first place, uh, the N1 final, Kiyomiya versus Katsuhiko Nakajima. So there you go. Uh, really, really good tournament. Lots of great stuff. Uh, you know, there were like two nights that you really didn't need to watch. Those two, like, single cam nights, you know, that were on Universe. I believe it was night two and uh, night five, like the second to last uh, block show. But, you know, the rest of the shows were all really good and filled with lots of good stuff. So even beyond what I put down there. So definitely, you know, as far as like tournament wise, blew away the Champion Carnival, even though the finals, I would say, were more comparable. But like the rest of the tournaments, it's not, I mean, you know, not even close. But uh, I don't know if you have anything to add. Um, yeah, I think, you know, just real quick, my top three were uh, Kaito Mochi, um, Shiozaki Sakuraba, and Kaito versus Masa. So I think we're we're pretty much, I didn't include the final on that list, but yeah. um, I think we're pretty much on the same page. And yeah, just compared to the carnival, like going in, um, obviously I, I enjoy Noah in general a little bit more than All Japan, but I was pretty excited about the the, the carnival, especially like the original carnival with, with Segura and and baby boy smith jr in it whatever but um yeah i think looking back now like this um this n1 is just gonna we're gonna talk about this going forward but we're just not gonna talk about anything from the carnival other <laughs> than the, the final yeah which is disappointing right that means that they could have had better matches throughout but yeah um yeah and then as far as like from the n1 averages who has the best tournament uh the top three all came from a block for me this is not including again not including the final uh, Kaito in first at a 3.9 average, uh, Mochizuki in second with a 3.75, and Go Shiozaki in third with a 3.6. Uh, and then right below them were three guys in B block all tied at a 3.5, which were Kano, Nakajima, and Sugera. So nothing that really surprised me there. Those are all, all wrestlers that I usually enjoy a lot. So those are my top six, I guess you could say. And really the only guy that like the only guy that I didn't really like was uh Marafuji only came with a 2.85. So everybody else was kind of right around like the 3.0 to 3.3 mark. So I have a feeling that Segura is, is obviously still going to deliver quality matches like night in and night out, but I feel like he's just going to not go as hard every night. Yeah. Um which, you know, obviously he should totally do. Um but I think like his big title matches and stuff like that will still be great. Um, but yeah, just the the quality compared to him and Marafuji is just night and day. Yeah. So there you go. That's the N one. 
anything you want to plug here, Jota, before we wrap this up? No plugs. No plugs. Uh, Miami Marlins 2021 season is coming soon. Okay. So get ready for that. No <laughs> plugs. Uh, and you can, of course, follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmakase, Wrestling Women Fit. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday on the Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestlingOmakase, with our next G1 show, Night 15 at Hamamatsu. Uh, next week's free show, uh, really going to be happy to have Todd Martin on from the PW Torch. Uh, going to be making his first appearance on the free feed. He did do one appearance on the Patreon earlier this year. So Todd Martin will be on with me next week to talk about the uh, G1 B-Block final, night 18, uh, from next Saturday, and the G1 overall finals uh, from next Sunday, both at Goku. So that'll be our next free episode. Uh, in the meantime, everybody, thank you as always for listening and for subscribing, and we'll see you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.